The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Well, today we are starting a brand new series. We just finished up last week our our six-week series in the book of Jeremiah. And today we start a new one called Creation and Science, Why Can't We Be Friends? And... um, I wanted to, in, in order to kick off this series, I wanted to read to you a little, um, something funny that a friend of mine emailed to me uh, a few weeks back. Uh, we had been planning an event on a Wednesday night, and I had I'd asked him, are you going to come to this thing? And he said, no, I can't be there because it's Rosh Hashanah, which, uh, as many of you probably know, is a Jewish holiday. And uh, I, I, I wrote back and I said, I didn't, uh, that's great, I'll, I'll catch you next time, but I didn't know that you celebrated Rosh Hashanah, that's interesting. And uh, this is what he wrote back to me, I, I've got it on the screen here for you. He said, Rosh Hashanah celebrates the world's birthday, and I'm grateful for the creation of the world. It turned 5,771 this year. And then he said, personally, I think it's lying about its age. <laughs> <laughs> I said, we have a a series on creation and science coming up. I'm going to use that. (laughs) Personally, I think it's lying about its age. Well, you know, I think a lot of us probably feel that way. Uh, Depending on on, uh, what what your church background is, you may have been raised in a place that encouraged you to take take, uh, the earth at its word, that that it's a few thousand years old. Or you may have been encouraged to integrate the teachings of the Bible completely with what, uh, whatever secular science teaches, and you, you may have been raised in a place that did something in the middle, or you may have never encountered this idea at all. Um, and so I wanted to talk about this here with you for the next couple of weeks, and we're going to do just two Sundays on this. Today we're going to talk about the, the creation accounts that are present in the Bible, and we're going to compare those creation accounts. And so we'll get to that in a minute. And then next week, I want to talk a little bit about how this topic sometimes ignites the, the, a little bit of a culture war, and how do we as people of faith uh, interact with uh, people who are not of faith, uh, particularly when it comes to questions of science and, and the Bible, and in, in what ways is that beneficial or not beneficial, and we'll, so we'll talk about that stuff. We'll get into the debate side of things a little bit next week, um, but today I want to start with... Um, our side of the story, if you will, uh, talk about the creation accounts in the Bible and see what they uh, might have to teach us and what they might not have to teach us about how the world began. And so, as many of you probably know, the first account of creation, which um, you've heard no doubt before, whether you've ever been in church or not, is in Genesis chapter 1. And so, if you'd like to follow along, I, we're going to actually read quite a lot of Scripture this morning. And we'll talk together about what, some things that we think about it. But this is, uh, this is on page one in your Bible. <laughs> and so it should be easy to find. There are red Bibles under your chair. If you want to follow along, you can use one of those. 
If uh, you brought your own Bible and you need help finding Genesis 1, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) But um, we're going to read the uh, first account of creation here together. And then we're actually going to read the next account as well. So, Genesis 1, the first words of the Bible, says this. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth... The earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome, and it was so. God called the dome sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation. Plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation. Plants yielding seed of every kind and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let there be, let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning. The fourth day, day by day we go here. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind, and it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind, and God saw that it was good. And here comes the good part, (laughs) the part about us. They're like, yes, trees, great. Can we talk about us? Um, Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And uh, let's skip ahead to the end of verse 31. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. 
Now, that's the entire first chapter of Genesis, and the first paragraph of Genesis chapter 2 concludes this particular story talking about how on the seventh day, God did what? Rested. He did not make anything. And it concludes by saying, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. So that's the first account of creation, and you are all familiar with the, uh, the rhythm of the days and how certain things are made on one day and certain things are made on another day. And, and uh, the subject of the days is one of the, uh, one of the topics of controversy when you speak with people about how creation happened. Was it six 24-hour days, or was this a metaphor, or, or what was it? We'll get to that in a second, perhaps. What I'd like to do now is read to you the second account of creation that occurs in Genesis 2. And I want you to keep your ears open or your eyes open if you're reading along. And I would like you to um, hi, look out for um, little babies. <laughs> I would like you to look out for um, ways in which this second account is different from the first. Okay? And remember those, and I'm going to ask you what they are in a minute, and we're even going to write them down and going to be lots of fun. So Genesis 2, starting in the second half of chapter 4. And in these red Bibles, there's a little heading, which actually is not in the original text, but the editors have put this in, another account of the creation. Kind of interesting. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divides and becomes four branches. And then we get a little um, geography lesson there. We'll skip ahead to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Later, Bob Dylan wrote a terrible song about this. (laughs) That's not in the Bible. I, I editorialized that. Verse 20, the man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken." Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So, that's the second account of creation. And I asked you to, uh, to listen for ways in, that, in which that was different from the first one. 
And I, I would like to talk about that now. I even have a large pad on which we can place our findings. <clears throat> These particular findings we will call differences, okay? So I'll write differences at the top. And what you will do is shout out some of the ways in which the second account was different from the first. We may or may not get to all of them here, but we'll see how it goes. Can everybody see this okay? Or kind of okay? Yes? Okay, so um, are you talking about the order, of, the order in which things happened? Okay, that's kind of a... Uh, a large category there. The order is different. And you mentioned plants and people. Right? Okay. Yes? Yeah, that's an interesting one. The, uh, the, the, there's two things you're talking about there. The first one is uh, the idea of being made in God's image, which occurs in the first one but isn't mentioned in the second one. And the other thing is the dust. We're made out of dust in the second one and uh, out of, I don't know what, in the first one. doesn't say. Okay? So how we're made would be the big category there. And we being people. And I'll write down image of God and dust. Brenda. Interesting. Yeah, who's this other person he's talking to? Let us make man in our image. Yeah. Okay, so um, who's God's friend? <laughs> I'll write God's friend down here. I have an idea theologically where I'd like to go with that, but we'll call it God's friend now <laughs> with a question mark. Nobody likes to make the universe alone, right? <laughs> yes, Nancy. Yeah. Okay, so rules. My handwriting gets worse as I go down lower. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so timeline. And not, not really one as much in the second one. Yes. Yeah. Yes, very good point. So origins, I think that's a great word to use there. Uh, cosmic chaos or earth. And uh, we could even go back to the dust thing that Rick mentioned there. That's, that's very clear in the second one. Yes, Mark. 
-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, we'll call that the climax of the narrative, to use the literary term. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that one. So um, in the first one, I will say humans. And in the second one, I'll say woman. And, and if we wanted to do a, a language study, we would see that the uh, term for humankind is, is a more generic term. And the term for man and woman that you see in the second one are gender-specific. Uh, so when the, in the first account, when it says we are made in the, God made humankind, and some of your translations say man, but it's the, it's the term for... Uh, human beings in general, in the image of God. And then in the second one, when we're talking about the man and his helper, um, Eve, we, we come to find out later, uh, that's, those words are gender-specific. And incidentally, if you're hung up on that word helper and you're, you're one of those people who wants to say the wife needs to be the helper of the woman because it says so in the Bible, it might be interesting to tell you that the, uh, the word that's used there in Hebrew is also used of God, describing how God is the helper of Israel. Um, and so... If you want to be chauvinistic about it, you, you also need to make your wife uh, into God. So <laughs> you probably don't want to yell at her to do the dishes. <laughs> Sometimes we yell at God to do the dishes, metaphorically speaking, I guess. But. Anybody notice a difference in how God himself is described? What is God called in the first and in the second account? Yeah, the Lord God in the second one, right. Yeah, so the name of God is, is a little bit different, and we could do some more Hebrew if we wanted to, but we won't because we, we don't really want to. You're a humanities guy, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, so uh, what did you, did you call it, the narrative structure? Yeah, that's a good term for it. it and, you know, um, I don't know if you guys ever get occasion to read Scripture out loud, except maybe when I corner you before the service and say, can you read the call to worship or something? But um, I find when I read Scripture out loud, I try to do that actually when I'm preparing sermons because when you read it out loud, it sort of incorporates into your brain in a different way. And I was noticing, as I, just even this morning, as I was reading those two passages out loud, the first one and the second one just feel so different. It's almost as if they were written by entirely different people. <laughs> um, probably because they were, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we could go on. There's actually more differences in there, but we're, uh, we're going to run out of time if we spend too much time here. Let's leave that up for a minute. <clears throat> And what I'd like to do now is take you to another creation account, actually. Oh, there's more. Actually, there's a bunch more. If you look in the book of Psalms, a number of the Psalms, the, the, the hymn book of, of the Hebrew people, refer to creation. Uh, Psalm 8, Psalm 19, Psalm 65, I think. Psalm 104, one of the most famous ones. And if you're uh, jumping ahead in your red Bible, you can go to 483. I'm not going to read this whole psalm, but I'm going to read you some, uh, some lines of this poem, some stanzas, and, and we'll see some interesting things here. It starts out, Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, wrapped in light as a garment. You stretch out the heavens like a tent. You set the beams of your chambers on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride on the wings of the wind. You make the winds your messengers, fire and flame your ministers. You set the earth on its foundations so that it will never be shaken. You cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. Verse 10, you make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. Verse 14, you cause the grass to grow for the cattle and plants for people to use. To bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the human heart. And it goes on and on. And it speaks about God as not only a creator of the earth, but also as a sustainer of the earth. How he continues to support the earth with his presence. Now, I want to ask you, would it damage your faith at all if I suggested that God actually doesn't ride on the clouds as a chariot? Like, is there a literal cloudy chariot that God sits in while he's wearing his shirt made of light and zooms across the sky? If I said to you, I don't think that's really what this is trying to say, would, would that harm your faith in any way? What would you say to me? You would say to me, <laughs> I'm sorry, I missed that. What? <laughs> is that something you can repeat? <laughs> Liar? Okay. <laughs> you might say you're being intellectually dishonest. Or dumb. <laughs> this is a song. It's a poem. It's not meant to be taken literally. Well, of course it's not. And I think this idea is sort of a clue for us about how we might look back at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and consider them. So, is Psalm 104 a lie? Is it untrue? Is it useless? for us when we think about how God made the earth and how God continues to sustain the earth? No, of course it's not. The fact that figurative language is present does not harm the truth of the text. And I think that we could say the same thing about Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Now, they are a different genre of literature. They're not psalms. They're not songs. But perhaps they are stories. Because it's not just poetry that has figurative language, right? I mean, let's think of a, a famous English novel, A Christmas Carol. You know the story, right? Scrooge and the ghosts and stuff. Is that a true story? Well, depends what you mean by true. <laughs> Is it true that people get caught up in their money and don't celebrate the true meaning of Christmas and are cruel to the people who work for them and need to have a change of heart, and that, in doing so, that would be the true spirit of Christmas? Yes, all those things are true. Is it true that ghosts came and visited an actual person named Ebenezer Scrooge and, Scrooge and took him on this little tour of his past and present and future? Well, no. We don't believe that kind of thing. 
but it doesn't mean the story is a lie, right? And so if we're looking at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and thinking, well, in light of scientific discovery, I'm not sure we can believe that the earth is, that all this happened in six 24-hour days. doesn't seem to be what the evidence would suggest. Does that mean that the whole thing is true or not true? I actually brought another large pad. And what I would like to do now is have you help me make two lists, okay? And I'm going to run out of room here, but that's okay. I wish I was ambidextrous. I could write with both hands. My French teacher could do that in high school. She would write with both hands. <laughs> English with one and French with the other. So on the first board here, Tiffany, is it okay if I move your saxophone? I hope you said yes. <laughs> I shan't drop it. All right, so <clears throat> where are my notes? Yeah. So the first list that I want you to help me make, let's call it principles, okay? Uh, and the second list that I want you to help me make, we'll call details, okay? We might call this theological principles, uh, would be another way to think of this, and this practical details, if you want to think of it that way. Basically what I'm getting at here is, on this first list, I want to put things like, God made the world. Okay? That is a principle of the story. That's a theological statement. And over here, we might say, it took six days. Okay? That's a detail. Right? Now, they don't always have to correspond to one another exactly like that, and you don't have to have one of each. But somebody shout out a principle or a detail and help me make these two lists. God made man. Are you talking about um, human <laughs> or male? Okay, so God made humans. Okay. Good. That's a, a great example of a principle, a theological truth. Yes. Okay, is that a principle or is it a detail? I think you're probably right. Um, and that's from Genesis 2. Um, Man first, woman second. Yes, Matt. God created us instantly. Okay, so which, which side are we on here? Okay. Um, God made us... We'll say fast. <laughs> if, he just, if it just happened in, in verse 1 or chapter 1, then that's one thing. And if, it, you know, if he had to like make some pottery first, <laughs> we'll go with chapter 2. Either way, pretty fast, meaning not millions of years. Yeah. Jonathan. Okay. In a principle, there is order and purpose. 
Okay. Let's take a vote. God rested. Is that a principle or is that a detail? How many think it's a principle? God rested. Okay. How many think it's a detail? God rested. Oh, that's about 50-50. I'll put it like this. I'll put God (laughs) rested. (laughs) Yes, Rick. Okay. Yes. Separating earth from water. And interestingly enough, the, before that happens, he separates water from water, which we don't really quite talk about as much because it doesn't make any sense. Um, but it's all water. And then God says he puts this dome between the two pieces of water, right? And the dome is the sky which if you want to go back in time and put yourself in the place of a person who might be trying to tell a story about how God made the world, you might think, well, obviously there's water above the sky because it rains. Well, we know that's because of the water cycle, but they didn't. And so that might be a reasonable thing to assume that they would, how they would describe it. There's water above the sky, just like there's water below the sky. We won't go down that road too far. Other principles or details? Matt, another one. Ah, man has dominion and or responsibility. Yeah. Uh-huh. So man, and probably over here we probably want to say humans, but over here, man named animals. Anybody heard that Bob Dylan song? It's really, it's seriously really bad. (laughs) Yeah, geography. I skipped that part. (laughs) Eden, four rivers... Etc. Yep. Was there another hand over here? Yes, Doug. God looked at what he made and said, Good. Yeah. Principle or detail? Principle. God. Quote, good. Yes. Okay. That would be a principle, probably, yep, yep. Humans have relationship to the Creator. Let's get a couple more of each, maybe. Um, Wayne. Creatures came out of the water. I think that sounds like a detail. Yep. Creatures came out of water. Okay? Chrissy. Ah, very good one. Um, Humans made in the image of God. That's one of those theological principles that's so important that we 
we retain the Latin phrase imago dei, even in theological circles, um, because that's such a central part of what we believe. Yes, Adrian. Uh, that's a good question. Is that is it mentioned in, since it's mentioned in only one story? Is it more of a detail? Um, well, since I'm making the rules, uh, <laughs> well, given the way I'm, I'm thinking about this, I would still call that a principle because it's uh, it's a more of a theological statement than a specific statement of how something happened. But I could I could under, understand that. I could entertain that argument. Yeah, Dave. Okay. So you're talking about nothing beyond... Yeah. Okay. Yep. Only earth, sun, and moon. No mention of other planets or other solar systems or um, warp speed or anything like that. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Okay, very interesting. That's a good detail. Um, one man, one woman. Yes. Hmm. Right. So the concept of rules is, is a principle, and maybe that specific rule might be a detail. Okay, so I'll write down rules, and I'll write down special tree, <laughs> because it's easier to write that sideways than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right. Well, again, we could go on with, with both of these lists, but we have a pretty good start on them right here. And so here's the big question that I have for you today. Let's say that we could only have one list. If one list or the other could be completely and unassailably argued away, proven to be false, so that we were only left with the other list, which list would you keep? This list or this list? How many people think this list? Okay, this is not a controversial question. Right. I think that this list is really the one that is much more important, and it seems as though most of you agree, and that this list contains the truth of the story, much the same way when I was talking about Christmas Carol we had the truth about how people should interact with their money, how they should treat those who are employed by them, what the true spirit of Christmas is. The truth of that story is intact, even though we don't believe the specific details of how that came about. And I would like to propose that in most, if not all cases, we could say the same thing about these creation stories. Now remember, it's Stories, plural, and they don't always agree with each other, so we already have an issue there with how we want to interpret those and how we want to apply our, our faith and our belief to them. But the truth of the story is in these principles. The details of the story help move the story along. 
But I don't think, even if we had to let go of all these specific details, that we would have harmed our faith in a significant way. Now, you notice I'm out of time, so I can't tell you exactly what to believe about whether any or all of these are true or false. I'm a person, just in general, who prefers principles. And the principle that I would propose to you today is that we want to listen for the truth, capital T, rather than the details. And that will help us to interpret things uh, in a helpful way. Now, let me leave you with a quotation from a Middle Ages philosopher, St. Thomas Aquinas, who wrote a book that literally is this big, if you put it on a shelf, called Summa Theologica. He was the, uh, the central theologian of the church uh, in the 13th century. And this is what he says, uh, and this, this actually was used later on uh, in the church's history when Copernicus and then Galileo started talking about how um, uh, basically what Dave was hinting at, the, the uh, earth is maybe not the center, maybe, this, maybe we're going around the sun um, and got into some trouble eventually there, though not as much trouble as we want to read back into it. Regardless, uh, some people quoted Aquinas when that happened, and this is what he said, and I'm going to leave you with this because he's a smarter guy than I am. He says, in discussing questions of this kind, Two rules are to be observed. The first is to hold the truth of Scripture without wavering. The second is that since Holy Scripture can be explained in a multiplicity of senses, one should adhere to a particular explanation only in such measure as to be ready to abandon it if it be proved with certainty to be false. Lest Holy Scripture be exposed to the ridicule of unbelievers and obstacles be placed to their believing. So if you feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, I just had this really smart theologian say, cling to the truth of Scripture and be ready to abandon certain interpretations if they be proved false. It's lucky that I consider my calling as a pastor, uh, particularly when I'm speaking to you um, in this setting, to help you ask the right questions rather than to give you all the right answers. And uh, so that's my prayer today that St. Thomas Aquinas uh, and I would have helped you ask the right questions. And we will ask some more next week when we start talking about the uh, cultural importance of these questions and, and and our answers to them. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks for the truth of the Bible, and we cling to the truth of Holy Scripture, as Aquinas said. And we pray that you'd give us wisdom uh, in interpreting it and that you'd give us grace with each other in, in occasions when we may disagree on interpretation. We pray also that you'd give us wisdom and grace as we uh, share the truth that we find in the Scripture with our friends and neighbors, uh, that we would do so in a way that speaks to the truth of who you are and what you've done, not only in creating the world, but in sustaining it, not only in creating us, but in redeeming us. 
and that in all things we would be covered with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, this is one of those topics where I think reasonable people sometimes disagree. And uh, even in this room, I'm sure we have folks who feel one way about these texts and folks who feel another way about them and probably a bunch of us in the middle. Uh, But the beauty of Christian worship when we come together is that we all come around the same table. We all celebrate Christ and our need for him. And so each week here at Artisan, we do celebrate communion together, uh, as Jesus himself commanded his followers to do. And so if you're following him, and this is the, the place where you're doing that, It would be appropriate for you to participate in communion with us, whether it's your first time or 500th time here. Uh, If you're not following Jesus and and you're here kind of asking questions and looking for answers and uh, don't feel like this would be the right thing for you right now, then that's okay too. Nobody will look sideways at you if you don't participate in communion. Uh, But we do have an open table. You don't have to be a member here or a member of any particular church to participate. Uh, We're going to continue to worship in song and... um, The table will be open for the rest of our time together. You can tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the wine or the juice. Take it in remembrance of Christ's broken body and his shed blood. And take it as food for your souls. And maybe today, most of all, take it as an act of unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ here in this room and around the world, regardless of our interpretive differences. Parents, if uh, your kids are down at the other end of the building, you can go get them. Uh, If you'd like to take communion together, that's okay. But if you want to wait until after you've done that to go pick them up, you can do that as well. But do get them and uh, continue to worship in song together uh, with your families. Um, Come to the table as you feel the Lord's call. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com/podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.